when the time comes, I hope we can be a prophetic voice saying, don't let's rebuild just as close to how things were before as we can manage. Let's rebuild things so that they're better, so that we don't rebuild that injustice, that all that pollution, all that unsustainability and all that poverty, that we don't rebuild an unfair world shaped by the same people it was before, that we have the vision and the hope and the courage to call for something different. Welcome to the Renew Our World podcast. Renew Our World is a global movement of Christians who believe that since we are truly image bearers of God, we should act like it, living out love for one another in actions and in truth. In this podcast, we're going to go on a journey together of discovering a theology of creation care. We'll be discussing the latest in climate news, chatting with industry leaders, theologians and practitioners, and hearing from some of our incredible partners who are working on the ground. Join us this season as we learn about creation care and what we can do in our own lives to play part in a much bigger restorative story. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to uh, the Renewal World podcast. Excited to be bringing you your second podcast. Hopefully you guys all enjoyed uh, the first one. Got a, got a nice little taste of what we're going to be doing with you um, for this podcast for the next little while. Uh, and today we're really excited to have Ben Ben Niblett with us on the podcast, who's going to be talking to us a bit more about Renewal Worlds. We're going to get to know it a bit more. Um, and uh, also we're going to talk a little bit about how Renewal World is going to respond to the coronavirus situation and sort of the, the sort of change, very changed landscape that we're all facing in terms of um, how we look at um, as Christians, you know, c- campaigning on on issues of climate and issues of, um, yeah, bringing bringing God's heart for justice into the world. So, yeah, we're excited to to hear Ben's thoughts and um, hopefully get you guys excited for how we're going to be responding to sort of brave new world that we're facing going forward. Um, Elise, as ever, you're you're recording from Australia. How are you doing this morning? I am. I'm doing well. We've had a sunny day here today, so there are no complaints. I went for two walks. I got out of the house twice today, so that's a small win. <laughs> wow. I th- if you're in the UK uh, right now, your restrictions would be, you, you could get arrested for that. You've gone, you've had two two exercise sessions in the one day. Look, by the time that this goes live, there is a chance that we will be down to one outing a day and it, this could technically be illegal, but okay. we are recording this on the 8th of April, so I know that I am not breaking any laws. Good, good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Yes. How are you going? Well, it's it's okay. I mean, weather-wise, it's definitely quite quite grey, a bit greyer today. Um, you know, it was a balmy 12 degrees in the middle of the night, which was uh, which was strange for the for the for UK. That is winter, so rough. Winter, I'm not jealous at all. <laughs> you know, oh, so it was too warm last night. It really was hard to sleep because it was too warm. It was 12 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> ben, how are you doing in uh, in London? Uh, we're all right. Uh, I've got three uh, secondary school aged kids, and they're all adapting very well in their different ways. Uh, one of them smiles each time he thinks, Do you know. It was a school day and I didn't have to go. You know, that hasn't worn off quite yet. But now it's the Easter holidays, so we'd be at home anyway. Yeah, the joy the joy of the school's been closed is a little bit uh, little bit less when you're on your Easter holidays and realise you can't actually, you know, get out with your mates or, you know, do that family trip down to uh, Lake District or the Peak, the Peak District, whatever it is. Yeah, we, look, there is a lot of disappointment over here at the moment. Nice, nice. So... I think let's let's kick into it. We'd love to get to know you a bit more, Ben. So, Ben, who who are you and what do you do at your life? Uh, so, at the moment, what I'm doing is coordinating the Renew Our World campaign. And I'm doing that because I've always had a bee in my, in my bonnet about justice. I've always loved campaigning. 
I've been a Christian all my life, really. And I've always, one of the itches I've always felt was to apply that to politics and think about justice and how to change the world. And so I guess it was the Jubilee campaign uh, running up to the year 2000 where that really came to life for me. And I found, how can Christians be inspired by the Bible to speak out for justice? And how can you do that in a clever way that actually changes things? And how can you work with lots of other people? Uh, And also, I discovered how it can unite the church as well. So people from lots of different parts of the church work together on that. And it was wonderful. I think that's interesting you mentioned the Jubilee debt campaign. I mean, I I find um, for me, so I'm in my my early 30s, you know, similarly um, through my Christian Christian walk and my Christian faith, justice has always been, you know, the things that that have jumped out to me. But I think I remember that that Jubilee debt campaign was sort of like the first sort of really big advocacy campaign and where I saw I was like, oh, as Christians, they've re- they responded really well here. They've really um, spoken with one one voice and one accord for for justice. And it was, yeah, it was, it was an amazing, amazing thing to see. Yeah. I remember one, we had one big event, can't remember what it was now, big rally or something. And I remember talking to this veteran campaigner who'd been doing this for decades about it. And we were both saying, wasn't that wonderful? Uh, you know, we've, we've gone up a gear here. This is much bigger than we used to. And she said, yeah. yeah, but it was odd. It wasn't all the people I usually know. They were all church people. And I thought, yeah. yes, that's what I want to see. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. So I guess I'm kind of still here because I'm still running off that energy because I've seen what you can achieve together. And I guess how natural it is, how natural it is for the church to be calling for justice and to be the backbone of a campaign in the way that we were for Jubilee. Yeah, and also yeah. that you can do that internationally as well. But those have all given me hope that will last the rest of my life, I think. Nice. And so at the moment, so you're currently the Renewal World Coordinator. Yeah. So I'm based at Tier Fund in London in the UK. And my job is to coordinate the International Renewal World Campaign, which is Christians from lots of different countries. So we've got 16 national countries and then people who have joined individually in other places as well. And we campaign for justice uh, and for a fair and sustainable world. And we try and change the minds of what's going on in our own countries. And then we work together and try and change minds and decisions internationally as well. So you can't really solve climate in one country, even the biggest one. So we have to work together. And besides, it's what we want to do anyway. Great. Yeah. What were you doing before Renew Our World? Uh, So I was campaigning for Tier Fund, uh, mainly in the UK, stirring up Christians and churches to pester their MPs and our government and occasionally other people. And we won some campaigns. So uh, the UK's Climate Change Act, that was one that we helped to win. We played a big part in that. Uh, the Paris Agreement on Climate in 2015, where the world set a climate goal that was, that was a really good one, actually. That was a big success, and we were part of that. Uh, from a UK point of view, this is a bit sadder. So we won a really good piece of EU legislation about transparency and corruption that was uh, in oil, gas, and mining. So that was a great win. It was a great bit of EU law. Uh, and from the UK, saddest of that is that the UK is about to no longer be subject to it. And um, it's still a good law in the rest of the EU and we still help to get it. Uh, we've won some other campaigns on water and sanitation uh, and we've lost one on trade rules. You never win everything. It's true, isn't it? Yeah, there's always, uh, there's, there's ups and downs. There's, there's uh, peaks and troughs and sort of campaigning victories and, and wins. Just a question as well. You, so you, you said, you, you know, you're, you coordinate Renewal World. So, what, what does that look like sort of in the day-to-day? Are you sort of, um, you know, Renew World is a sort of, you know, it's a campaign that's got campaigners across the globe. So 
as a sort of coordinator, yeah, what does that what does that look like? So we've got the 16 different national campaigns, staying in touch with them, uh, finding out what are what are their ideas, what are they up to, what help would they like, um, putting people in touch with each other. So people from the different campaigns have lots of conversations with each other without me and to me and through me as well. Uh, and we've got some international networks who are members. Uh, we've got the World Evangelical Alliance, the Anglican Alliance, um, and a Russia International, and talking to them also. And obviously, uh, they've all got international reach, which is why they're interested. So lots of that kind of stuff. And then also um, thinking about the politics and the state of the world, staying in touch with the people who are tracking that, who can tell me what are the opportunities, what are the threats, uh, what do we need to be calling for at the moment. Uh, and then some, uh, part of my job is doing the dull stuff so other people don't have to. So uh, doing the money, organizing, uh, making sure we're legal, all of that stuff, uh, which hopefully nobody else has to think about too much. Nice, nice. I love that, doing the money. <laughs> Accountants should have that in their email signatures. I do the money. <laughs> yeah, I do the money. AKA, I'm an accountant. Yeah, I yes, like what exactly. it says, I do the money so Ben doesn't have to. That big. Yeah. <laughs> It's good. So you, you touched a little bit on some of the successes that you've seen in your advocacy days through Tear Fund. What about Renew Our World specifically? What campaigns have you seen that have just brought in awesome victory? Yeah, there's two that come to mind particularly. So there's a, this is an international one. So the World Bank uh, lends money to developing countries for all sorts of things. And some of that money is for energy. And a big chunk of that is still going into fossil fuels, which is really ironic because they're making, policy, uh, they're making poverty worse at the same time as the World Bank are funding these projects. So we had a campaign for them to switch money out of that and put it into renewable electricity in places where, that were miles and miles away from an electricity grid. So mo- most of that's solar and sometimes it's micro hydro if, if it's, uh, say, the bottom of a mountain in Nepal or somewhere like that. Um, and we won large chunks of money uh, moved from fossils into off-grid renewables. And that I love that because it, it brings together the caring for the environment is closely linked to bringing justice and overcoming poverty. And this is a really practical way that can happen. So if you can bring solar and clean electricity to a village that's never had it before, it's transformational. Um, you know, uh, it can be safe to walk out at night for the first time. Kids can do homework for the first time in the evening. And adults always think that's an amazing thing. Uh, and I agree. People can keep their shops open late at night. And um, we, we heard stories about um, families running little little shops, just uh, charging people's phones for the, able to do that for the first time. So families that have been struggling with just making a few bucks a day from their shop found their incomes tripled once uh, they've got solar panels and light at night. Uh, so pushing the World Bank to transfer millions like that then suddenly means you can do that for huge numbers of villages and huge numbers of people. Yeah. So, and also, I just love the thought of shifting something as big and unaccountable and far away from the people we serve as the World Bank is sitting there in their very nice offices in Washington. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Uh, and then the other one that comes to mind is, in, is a really specific one. So in Malawi, uh, so national campaigns have their own opportunities. And in Malawi, there was a great one because the government banned what they call thin plastics. So mainly plastic bags that clog up the drains and cause floods uh, that people burn, that causes respiratory diseases and climate change as well. 
and it just looked manky. Um, so there are huge areas of streets and countryside with little bits of plastic everywhere. So Malawi passed a law, uh, one of lots of countries, especially in Africa, that have banned plastics, um, banned plastic bags or thin plastics, as they call it there. Uh, but the plastic bag manufacturers got an injunction and stopped it, and it went to the high court. And uh, so there's this ping pong where it would get banned, a court would uphold the ban, and then the manufacturers would get an injunction and take it to a higher court. So on the third go, the Renew Our World campaign did campaign things like you'd expect, and they prayed about it, and they organized rallies, and they pestered their politicians, and they spoke up. Uh, but they also hired a really good lawyer who was better than the plastic bag company's lawyer, and they won the case in the Supreme Court. And now the ban is legal, it's gone through, it's upheld, and Malawi has banned plastic bags. And now the campaigners have celebrated that and said, this is the kind of power we have. We can do, we, we can bring national change. We can be part of that. They work with other groups as they did it, but it made the Renew Our World campaign in Malawi a lot stronger too. Uh, and now they're going around thanking the businesses that are upholding the ban and keeping the law, and they give them a nice certificate and they celebrate them. Or, or if they're not upholding it, they don't. They report them to the police instead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, it's, a, it's a really transformative change in, in, uh, that has so many different knock-on effects. Um, one, one other question I have, and I'm just sort of moving the conversation, you know, more towards uh, the sort of current crisis we're finding ourselves in with, with coronavirus. And I guess the, the huge thing with coronavirus is while, you know, large parts of the world are currently in lockdown, you know, we're, we're all currently in our in our houses recording this podcast. Um, you know, there's 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 those issues around how the, the virus has changed daily life for a lot of people. But also when when we do get a hold of the, the spread of this disease and it's going to greatly change how the world sort of functions for the next little while. And it seems like in this, this space of um, reorientation, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity as well for, for people who, who care about justice and, you know, what, type, you know, as we rebuild societies going forward, how do, how do they look and um, what would a just society um, that is, you know, and, and a just society coming from God's heart from justice, what, is, what, what are those things would look like? And so, yeah, I just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit and maybe how, how is Renew World going to respond to um, the coronavirus crisis and what are the initial thoughts on, on how the campaign is going to, going, to, going, to, going to step out? Yeah, we're all really thinking hard about that and praying about it at the moment, as you'd expect. So I think there's a big opportunity. So this is a massive change for the world. It will, it could, it's a chance to press reset on the way the world economy works and start again. So when there's a humanitarian disaster, there's a phrase that, that often gets used, which is building back better. How do we do that for the whole world? Can we do that on a global scale? Uh, and I hope that we can. And an example I often think about is after the Second World War, Europe was devastated physically, economically. A lot of the continent was in ruins and people were exhausted. And they rebuilt spectacularly fast. And a large part of that was an American policy called the Marshall Plan. So America sent lots of aid. Uh, some of it was loans, more of it wasn't. Huge amounts of money back to rebuild Europe. And partly they did that because they wanted to be able to trade with Europe again. They, wanted to, they knew it was rebuilding their economy so that they'd have us to buy and sell things too. Yeah. And partly it was political that they were scared that uh, communism would become popular in Western Europe if people stayed poor and there wasn't much hope and things looked better across what was about to become the Iron Curtain. Mm. And partly they just thought it was the right thing to do. 
it was that solidarity that we'd fought the war together, we'd been through it together, we'd worked together, and that continued. So we need a Marshall Plan after the pandemic. How are we going to do that together? And will we have the solidarity of having to work together to beat the virus? Will that last? Will we have the hope? Will we have the vision? So I think part of our job is to make sure that we do and that the church is calling for that. And all these things should come naturally to the church. We're not the only people who have these. We're not the only people with hope and with vision and who think that everyone in the world is our brother and sister, even if they're in a different country or a different street. But we've got a head start on all of those things. So it's, yeah. it's part of our job is to call for them. So we're thinking, how do we do that in this huge opportunity? And some of those decisions are quite a way away. How do we rebuild what comes once the pandemic is beaten? But some of them are happening sooner. So as governments have lockdowns and the economy changes radically and they have to have bailouts to keep things going, will those be sustainable bailouts that help tackle the climate emergency and the environment crisis? Or will they make them worse? Will they just say, we'll, we'll do the environment later? Because that would be a terrible mistake because firstly, I bet later never happens that once we've recovered from the pandemic and done the immediate things, there might not be energy effort to do anything else at, at this yeah. kind of scale. Yeah. Uh, but, but also, we haven't got long on the climate emergency. And if we don't change direction on climate, it's very likely to kill a lot more people than the pandemic is going to. So we need to be tackling both at the same time. And again, part of our job is to have the vision to see how we can do that and call for it and the energy and the persistence to say, these, if we love our neighbor, and we love our God who made this creation and, loved, and values it so much, then we need to put these two things together. So yeah. thinking about how we do that, and I guess the hardest bit is, what, what do we do now? What's it time for already? And where do we have maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe two years? We don't know. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's definitely an interesting time and I've been reading a lot of articles lately that are making that connection and are saying, hang on, we are going to see way more deaths from pollution than we're seeing from coronavirus and that we will see from coronavirus. We need to act now. And so um, I was reading an article the other day that talked about some of the lessons that we can take away and some of those things are that, you know, global crises like COVID-19 and like the climate crisis is that it doesn't have borders and we need to act together. And so on that note, is there an opportunity for global campaigners to respond to COVID-19 now? Yes, but it's not clear yet what the biggest opportunity is going to be. So talking to our own governments is the first thing. And I guess national governments is always where the biggest single decision point is going to be. That's where most decisions get made. But there are lots of places where governments come together and we can call to them collectively. Uh, So one of those is the G20, which is the club of the world's 20 biggest economies, uh, which is pretty much the same, not surprisingly, as the world's biggest polluters and pretty close to the world's 20 richest countries. Those are all almost exactly the same thing. So we don't have anything like it. We don't really have a global system that's equipped to deal with a global crisis like this. But the closest we do have are the UN, where Everybody gets together, everybody has a say, but it's quite hard to make any decisions and things are slow and consensus amongst all of the world's countries is pretty pretty tough to get. Or there's the G20 where, again, 
it's still quite hard to come to a consensus because all of these countries are very different from each other. Australia is not like Saudi Arabia, except that they're both hot. But that's the closest place we can get where you could get you could get an agreement made where that could change things. But there are other international places too, like the EU, um, the African Union. There are lots of different regional bodies as well. So we can call for the same thing in all of those places. I don't think it's clear yet where the biggest opportunity will be. Uh, if I had to say right now, what's, what should we target for the next two years? I'd say G20s, but I think it's too early to say that for mm-hmm. sure yet. I'm just wondering, Ben, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on sort of church's response so far and the sort of Christian response so far to, to, to coronavirus? Have you seen some, some interesting things or are there other things that you think that we need to even challenge, I guess, I guess as yeah, challenge ourselves as, as, we, as we respond? Mm. Uh, it's so broad, the church's response. There's so many different things going on. So there's lots of practical help for our neighbours. So uh, we can't visit the sick, but we can phone them and we can look after them and we can do their shopping. So there are lots of people doing that. And there are people doing it because they were already part of their communities and in touch with their neighbours especially their church families, but beyond that. Uh, there are lots of parts of the world where very quickly new organizations have sprung up. Uh, and in the UK, we're calling those mutual aid societies because we like to have long words in the UK. And that's what we've gone for. So my local one's got 300 volunteers. It's, it's only been going two weeks. It's got 300 volunteers in and they're picking up people's medicines from the pharmacist. They're doing people's shopping. They're walking people's dogs. Uh, and they're talking to people who are isolated and lonely and looking for more things they can do. So the church is a big part of that. That's how I heard about it. That's how a lot of the people involved came to be in it. So there's lots of practical caring for your neighbours is going on like that, um, as it should be. And it's a great way for people outside the church to see that Christians love them in a way that's practical and to see what that actually looks like. So I'm loving that. There's... I think there's a big need just to lament, really. This is, a, this is an appalling tragedy, and it's not new in the life of the church. So way back, 100, um, 101 years ago in 2019, there was the Spanish flu epidemic that was deadlier than this, it seems, and swept around the world. And going back a lot further, back to the second century, uh, there were plagues that hit the Roman Empire, and the church grew a lot through those because they cared for everybody, not just their own. And people saw that. So the church is not new to this, but our generation is completely new to it. So yeah. just, just voicing people's grief and the tragedy of it, I think is a, is a good job for the church. And it, it's a time people turn to church when they don't normally. I think there's also the, um, there's the, the fear, this is the end times. Is it a fear? Is it a hope? So I think it's a fear mostly. Um, <laughs> But this is a sudden, frightening, huge thing. It's global. That might look like some of the prophecies. But I think um, if Jesus didn't know when the end times were, it's not for us to know either. So we need to be prepared. I mean, to live as though today might be the last day, but um, plan as though we've got another century and hold those both intentions. So I don't, I, don't think there's any, I don't think this is a sign of the end times. I think our job. And even if it is, I think our job is to be ready is to, for Jesus to find us serving our neighbours well when he returns, whenever that is. Mm. But people are certainly thinking and talking about that. Um, and I'm hoping uh, the church will be known for 
for loving all of our neighbours, even the ones who aren't like us. So uh, there are places where people have been scapegoated. So uh, uh, I was hearing from a friend in India saying, um, in such a huge country, there's a risk that people think uh, a particular city has the virus and people from that city get scapegoated or uh, people from China or Europe uh, or I guess now America, places where the virus is likely to spread from, they get scapegoated. So, uh, and then there are people who are already minorities and already vulnerable, like refugee populations. And there's lots of those in lots of different countries in the world. Can the church stand up for people like that so they don't get blamed and don't get forgotten so that the people at the back of the queue don't get left out and the last get put first. I think that's part of our job as well. Mm. That, that idea of a scapegoat really sticks out to me. And I think actually, uh, you know, as we record this podcast, we're, we're in the middle of Holy Week. We're about to come to Easter. And um, I suppose I'm, I'm drawn to the fact that, you know, this is the sort of biggest week for, for us in the, in the Christian calendar. And we're, we're thinking about Jesus's death and his resurrection and uh, what that means, what it, what it has meant for, um, for for creation and for humans since that time, but also for us, what it means for us today and what it will mean for us going forward. And yeah, that idea of scapegoating is is quite interesting, isn't it? That's that's sort of what society did to Jesus, right? They sort of Jesus is the problem; we've got to get rid of him. Da 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 da. And um, yeah, just just an interesting little connection to our our current our current time and how. Um, we really, really need sort of, yeah, God's healing and God's sense of justice at this time. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, maybe over Easter we can find that as as a we can you know really zone in on some of those those sort of things of you know Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and hopefully we can find some some solace in that as we face the current pandemic. Yeah, I think that's that's what the, I want the church to be doing, and I hope we are. Is we're we're a light um, in when it looks dark in other places we've still got reason to hope. So we should be good at sharing that. That should come naturally to us. And even if we're finding it hard, it's this is the time we are most needed to be people of hope and to share that with people. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. part of our job at the moment. Yeah. Cool. What is your hope for the church in the new world? I hope we'll grow. So in certainly in wealthy countries or and maybe wealthier people in poorer countries as well, um, this is a this is a shock that a realization that life is more fragile and less secure than we've often realized. It's an insight into how huge things can change that you have no control over, and that's what it's like to be poor. So your life has less choice in it. Your life gets shaped by decisions of other people or by just the way things are that nobody particularly decided. So I hope um, more people become Christians. I hope the church will grow and be good at welcoming in new people who didn't grow up in church and don't know how to behave and question the way we do things and say, why on earth do you do this? And a little change has been, it's been my house group where most people are older and don't use much technology. And we've managed to transform ourselves from meeting in someone's room and sitting in pretty much the same chair each week to using Zoom which if I tried to persuade them to use Zoom six months ago, they'd have said, oh no, that's not for us. But we've all managed it. Uh, so if we can make a little change like that so quickly, I'm, I'm more hopeful we can make, we can be there in a big change like this and adapt well. I think we can. So I hope we can grow, but I hope we can also um, 
when the time comes, I hope we can be a prophetic voice saying, don't let's rebuild just as close to how things were before as we can manage. Let's rebuild things so that they're better, so that we don't rebuild that injustice, that all that pollution, all that unsustainability and all that poverty, that we don't rebuild an unfair world shaped by the same people it was before, that we have the vision and the hope and the courage to call for something different. And a lot of the time that will look really attractive and we'll say, yeah, why wouldn't we want a fairer world? Why would we want to rebuild a world where lots of people didn't have healthcare before the crisis and don't after? Why would we do that? But there'll be a lot of pressure too, I think. So I think a lot of the reasons why things are unfair will return. The same people who wanted more than, more than their fair share before will continue to want it. And I guess I'm one of them. And the same companies that want to rebuild the same amounts of money and power they had before will want to do that and to keep to business models that pollute and damage the rest of us. All of those things will try and return, even if they're even if we've got a pause button press now. And we need to be ready to speak prophetically. And some of that is exciting, like Palm Sunday, Jesus riding into Jerusalem and the crowd acclaiming, and some of it's difficult and unpopular. And we need to be there for both. I think that's a fantastic thought to, to wrap up today's discussion on and hopefully to, to encourage people who are listening today and who will be listening in the future that Renewal really sort of will be, over the next little while, will be aspiring to to be that prophetic voice a bit and, and speak prophetically into what we think the world can look like going forward and what, what, a, what a sense of uh, a just world that we can rebuild in, in you know, post, post-coronavirus. So, yeah, exciting times ahead for, for the campaign. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today, Ben. Really, really interested to hear your, hear your thoughts and um, hear, hear more about how we're going to be responding. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for, thanks for listening in and uh, do join us for episode three. If you get a chance, we'll be uh, chatting to uh, Rich Gower about the, the burning question report. So do, do listen in to episode three. There'll be lots of really interesting discussion there uh, as well about how we can play our part as, as the church in, in stepping up and speaking out to questions. So yeah, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you, see you soon. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Renew Our World podcast. To learn more about the Renew Our World campaign or to hear about some of the work that our partners are doing, make sure you jump on over to our website at renewourworld.net. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a podcast episode again.